Would you open God's precious holy word to Ephesians 3 and verses 1 through 13. The mystery of the gospel. Frankly, there is a Christmas message in every text. The whole of the scripture centers around the incarnation of Christ, all of Christ. The Bible is outlined in three simple Roman numerals, number one, he's coming. Number two, he's here. Number three, he's coming again. And that Christ was born is a, is a reality that reaches into every direction of the purpose of God from before creation until after the collapse of the first order of things, the first heaven, the first earth, into the new heaven and new earth. Ephesians, I, I tell you Ephesians, and surely you see this in our study, gives to us the highest truth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is distinct. We'll see that. We'll see this in in in, in our. Uh, well, we see it all the time. I mean, it's the, the the scripture is replete in the New Testament, especially. But there is such a high teaching here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians one, and I, I don't want to review everything that I've done, but just to keep us up to date, the origin of uh, of the church. And then number two, how we are brought into the church, leading to the unity of the church, which brings us into Ephesians 3. Now, the unity of the church here in this greater passage, in this, in this context, is to be seen in view of the joining of Jew and Gentile as being one in Christ. How that happens and the purpose of all of this is seen here in, in, uh, in these verses. So we look at them together in verses 1 through 13. And I want to I extract several thoughts here. Uh, and so thought number one. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Now if you go back and we've studied how all of the ordinances... <laughs> of Jewish rituals and, and festivals and so forth have been laid aside. They, they were all fulfilled in Christ Jesus. There was a time, we, we saw this earlier, there was a time when Gentiles had no part of what Israel was all about, namely the, the covenant, the promise of the Christ, uh, citizenship in the kingdom of God, they were aliens and strangers to all of those things and they had no promise of the Christ and they were as Gentiles most pitiful. All of this is according to God's purpose and the purpose of Israel has been fulfilled. Paul, you have to go back into the book of Acts. Remember now, Paul is in prison when he's writing this. He's been in prison at this point for about five years. They came after him in Jerusalem. When they saw him, 
they, the, the Jews were stirred up because he was preaching salvation to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles and the Jews were together in Christ. This is what got him in prison. The Jews came hard against him for his preaching. And so they conspired and they did all the tricks and jumped through the hoops. But it was by the will of God that Paul was finally arrested. So he spent some time in Caesarea in prison. Then he was transferred, transported by ship. And he spent some time going from that part of the world to Rome. And now he's been in prison in Rome uh, for, for the remainder of this time of these five years. He's been in prison about five years. So Paul is writing as a prisoner. And he says, after, after discoursing to them about the unity of the Jew and the Gentile and how, how all of the uh, partitions between Jew and Gentile have been broken down in Christ, he says, I'm a prisoner here because I'm preaching the truth that in Christ Jew and Gentile come together. This division doesn't exist anymore. Now it's a division that started back with the law of Moses. And then it became twisted and perverted through the, through the centuries. By the time of Christ, Judaism was an awful thing. And of course it was never intended to be that way. The whole of the law and the covenant with Israel was that Israel would reveal the true and living God to the pagan Gentile world who just didn't believe in one single almighty God. And so God protected Israel in that and he worked divinely through miracles and prophets and kings and so forth to keep them protected uh, until their sin overwhelmed them. Paul has been going through the Roman Empire preaching the grace of God that extends equally to Jew and Gentile. Of course, this had inflamed the Jew. So when they saw that Paul was there, they accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And of course, that's, all of that was not, that was not true. But since when does that matter when you have enough money and enough people to conspire with you uh, to bring charges against you? So the Apostle Paul then is brought before magistrates, then he's arrested, he's on his way, and then he made it, now he's in Rome, he's in a house that he was able to rent, but he's chained to a, a Praetorian guard, he's chained to a Roman soldier, and secular historians write that these soldiers were having to be swapped out more regularly than usual because they, they kept converting to Christ, being being chained to the Apostle Paul. Well, he's in his own home, so he has some degree of, of freedom, but he's still in jail. He can't go anywhere other than his house, and he's chained still to a guard. This is why he's a prisoner. I'm a prisoner for preaching the grace of God and to tell the world the truth that the purpose of the ages continues and as that purpose continues, the purpose now has laid aside, the purpose of God has laid aside the distinction of the things that are Jewish. And the purpose of God now has brought us together in Christ Jesus, the unity of the church. We are all one in Christ. This is why 
I'm a prisoner. Fault number two. If indeed you have heard of the administration of God. That word, administration, ten economian. Now the word means a stewardship. King James, I think, translates it as a dispensation. It's a good word, dispensation. Or a stewardship, or an administration. Now this is an important thing for us to understand. The word is used here, it opens up the truth of God that His purpose comes to the world through different men in different ages according to the wisdom of God for that time and the purpose of God continues until it is absolutely fulfilled and complete. Now this administration of God, this the dispensationalism of, of the Scriptures and of the purpose of God is something that just wasn't known in the Old Testament. It's called a mystery. We'll get there in a minute. So Paul says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Let's use that word. That's a word that a lot of Christians are familiar with. Dispensationalism. There are, there are modern preachers and, and uh, contemporary churches who just don't want to go there. They, they don't see that, uh, that God worked through different men in a, in a progressive and different way as God saw fit all the way through until His final purpose is completed. But let's talk about the word dispensationalism or administration of the grace of God. Dispensationalists, of whom I'm a part. Now, you know, people get real smart and they start subdividing dispensationalism. I can't keep up with it. I quit trying. But I think we all have to agree, for example, there was an age of innocence. Uh, Adam was the steward. He was the manager of the age of innocence. It collapsed in sin. And that gave birth to the age of human conscience. How did that work out? It didn't because God said the conscience of man, the imagination of man is only evil continually. Well, that collapsed into sin and was judged by the flood. Emerging from there was what I see as the third dispensation, which was the dispensation of human government. It culminated at the Tower of Babel, but it collapsed into sin. It didn't work out very well because the cry of the leader of, of the world human government there at the Tower of Babel was, let us make to ourselves our own name. That is, let the, man of, let the name of man be his own deity, humanism, and let us make our tower to heaven. Well, that collapsed into that sin, and God judged that sin, and he imposed languages into the human race. Well, that gave way to the age of the covenant, the promise. Abram came along right after that, Genesis 12, and God made a covenant. And so the age of the covenant continues on until they fell into 
until they fell into slavery. And God thus brought the next dispensation, which was the age of the law. Now let's think about this. The age of the law is different from the time of innocence, right? It's different, it's different from the, they didn't have the law in the pre-flood world. So it was a different way that God, that God was managing his purpose. If you want to use it that way, Moses was the manager, the, the initial manager, and then it fell to the, to the, to the priests and the priesthood and so forth uh, to manage the law. But what happened? Israel fell into grievous sin. And that's how the Old Testament ends. People were sinful. They were captured. They were enslaved. Israel was, and then Judah. And the law was not sufficient, but God was managing his purpose in these ages to show us all about himself and his relationship with us. Now, that fell and collapsed into the time of the dispensation of grace. This is where we are today. This is the time of the church, grace of God. The truth of God now fully manifested through Christ and then via the apostles who laid the foundation of the church and now the various churches and uh, the pastors and the teachers and the, the witnesses and the testimonies of God's people, the church throughout the world, giving testimony to Jesus Christ and the grace of God that is found in him. And we are saved by grace. You don't have to do any of that law stuff, Moses stuff. All of that died in Christ. Christ has put it away. The ordinances of what to eat, how to dress and what not to eat and all that kind of stuff. All of that put away in Christ at the cross. But not only that, looking by faith to Christ, drawn by the call of God, convicted of sin, awakened to the darkness in which we are living without Christ. We are awakened. We are awakened out of that darkness and into the light and to the truth of who we really are. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. The law, if anybody could have done it, the Israelites would have done it in the time of the law. And God proved in that dispensation that this is not the way you can be saved because we are a part of a fallen race. And so this is the great message of the church. Come to Christ by faith. We, we, we make a beck and call to the world. And then God will save his own according to his will and purpose. And so this is the dispensation or the administration of the grace of God. We preach Christ and we preached, we preach that we are justified by grace through faith plus nothing. You must come to Christ. You must surrender to him as the sinner who you are, not as the right person you're going to make yourself once you come to Christ. You can't do anything. It's all the power of Christ. This is the message of the church. It's called the dispensation of grace or the time of the church. So this is the second thought. Paul is saying to the Gentiles, we are here because we have emerged into the dispensation of grace and we have left the dispensation of the law. It's gone. It won't come again. It's over. We are now in the dispensation of grace and the time of the church. A time 
where Jew and Gentile all come together in the same way and we are in one body. Now, they couldn't have seen that in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. It was hidden from them. So thought number two, we are now in the administration. The affairs of God are now administered via the grace of God and there are managers, stewards. How many times does Paul call himself a steward? There are stewards, and, and the chief steward in that sense was Paul, are the ones who manage this great message. The message of the administration of the grace of God. Thought number three. Having been given to me toward you, that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, just as I have written before in brief, by which you are able, reading it, to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now there were prophecies in the Old Testament, and the Jews knew this, that God would send a light to the Gentiles. And so the Jews, the Israelites in the Old Testament probably would sit back and say, well, how nice. Someday God's going to do something for that bunch. See, but they still maintained their separation. Okay. Now the Gentiles are being enlightened initially by the preaching and teaching of the Apostle Paul by revelation that God had given to him, which had previously been a mystery that Paul has written about in the New Testament and enabling Gentiles in reading it to understand what this mystery is. This mystery is that the gospel, you can't, you're only saved by one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way and the church, the church has been given this message. Paul received it first in this sense that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, Peter, for example, could be seen as an apostle to the Jews. And Peter writes about the church. And he writes, he writes about the inclusion of Jews and Gentiles. He had to make the Jews understand this dispensation of grace. Paul would enlighten the Gentiles in the early church of the dispensation of grace. So, so Paul says, it came by me, it came by revelation to me, and God has made me to see and to understand the mystery, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the church, the mystery previously in times past, in dispensations past, they could not have understood it because God had not revealed it to them yet. It is a mystery that only God could reveal and make to us uh, and make us to be understanding of the message. So he says, now you're enabled as you read it to understand the mystery of Christ, the dispensation of the church, the age of grace. Now, this is the age in which we live. This is where we are today. This is it. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. 
There is no distinction with regard to the gospel of Christ. There is no distinction between male and female, between barbarian and Greek. I mean, you go on and on. The, the, way, that, the way that the human race was partitioned in the time of, of Paul, in the time of the early church, those partitions don't exist in the church. Bond slave and, and master, all those things, they're gone. We are one in Christ. We are unified in Christ. So this is the great gospel. It's a simple thing. But it is only by the power of God that the church is built. It is not in the nature of fallen man to see himself as a sinner in need for salvation supernaturally. He doesn't see a need for a savior, doesn't believe the Bible, until God divinely intervenes in his life, calls him to himself by grace. And this, this person is enlivened and awakened and caused to be born again. Peter said that. And then from then on, we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is where we live today. We don't have to go to a temple in Jerusalem. We are the temple. We don't have to go to the Holy of Holies to see the presence of God. God is living His life in us. The presence of God is in His people. This is the church. They couldn't have understood that in the Old Testament. Now, thought number four, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as now it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. We have to look at this uh, because it's so important. Nun apekalu. Same thing. Now it has, that's in the, that's in the aorist. It's a point of action in time. It's irreversible. It cannot be undone, undone, and it is the point of time action that does not need to occur again. Now, let me tell you why that, uh, that's important. The dispensation of the church, the administration of the grace of God cannot be added to. It cannot be stated again. It, will not be, it was not before and it cannot be after this time of the holy apostles and prophets of the New Testament in the Spirit giving it to the world. So we can't have additional revelations. It is in the aorist tense. It's so important to understand I mean, it, it means what it says. Now it has been revealed, point of action will not be repeated. It is now, not before, not after. It's now, this is the revelation of the dispensation of grace. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. We are saved by the grace of God. This message, this revelation from God came into the world through the apostles and New Testament prophets 
It will not be repeated. This is it. So we stand on something that God has given and has made uh, true in a point of time. And it will not be repeated and it cannot be added to. If someone comes to me and says, God has given me a revelation. Go tell somebody else. There is a once for all revelation that I'm interested in and I'm not interested in any others. And it is this once for all. And it is this. We are saved by the grace of God. What are you going to add to that? This or that or the other. We don't have prophets. Anymore. All of those first Corinthians, those early church gifts, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. We're told clearly in first Corinthians, for example, that. The time of the prophets has gone. We have the, because it says, will no longer be needed because that, because of that which comes in completion. Well, that's the scriptures. Christ says at the end of the revelation, don't add to this. You cannot add to this. This closes the canon of scripture. The truth that we have moved out of the law and into the time of the church has been given. It won't be given again. It's been given once. It's a point of action. It is irreversible. It is irrevocable. It's in the aorist tense. You can't take it away. This is it. And it has been when? Now. Nun. We get our word noon from that. Nun. I mean, how many times does noon appear in the day? Well, once. You're not going to back up or go forward or anything. This is the way it is. So thought number four, we are in the dispensation of the church, the dispensation of grace. And the message of salvation cannot be encumbered with requirements and church policies and, and preacher personalities or anything. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. You come to God when God calls you and he only calls you by his grace. And if you're not called by God, you cannot be saved because you're dead in trespass and sin until God causes you to be born again. That's the Bible. When I was 10 years old, I was nearly 11 years old. I didn't think about all that. Well, the Bible doesn't say it's required that you understand all these doctrines. That's, 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 that's not requirement for salvation. But as I have grown in Christ and as I, as I have matured in my study of the scriptures, I have, I have learned to rest in my Sabbath who is Christ, knowing that he has done everything. He has rested on his accomplishment. Thus, I rest on his accomplishment. Nothing else is required. I have come to Christ and Christ has completely and absolutely totally saved me according to the eternal purpose of God as we have already studied. Now, that happened to me in the administration of the grace of God, the dispensation of the church, if you will. And it is absolute and it is true. Now, during that, during that time, the church moves through its own various 
sub, sub stages. And in my view, those are written about in the Revelation 2 and 3 with regard to the seven churches. Not going to go there. So here it is. It's now been revealed. I don't have to listen for anything else. I don't need anything else. I have this truth, this absolute truth that was once for all given. That we are in the administration of grace and God has saved me. I wouldn't even know these things if God had not by his grace enlightened me and awakened me to these things. So then it has been revealed. The foundation of it has been laid. Thought number five. That the Gentiles, now here it is, with the Jew, we have a common inheritance. With the Jew, we are one body. With the Jew, we have the same promise that has been given since the beginning of time. We all, Jew and Gentile alike, Share that promise, the promise that is in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So how are Jews saved today? By the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said so, Romans 9, 10, 11. God hasn't forsaken Israel. He'll take them back up in the time of the tribulation after the church has gone from, from the world via rapture and resurrection. But but. Now we, we all have the same thing. We have the same inheritance. The Jew is not going to inherit more or less than me. I am no more or less a part of the body of Christ than a Jew. And I have the same fellowship with Christ. I enjoy the same promise which is in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Everything that is promised to a saint is mine in Christ Jesus. Thought number six, of which I became a bond slave according to the gift of the grace of God, <clears throat> having been given to me according to the working of his power. Now I go back to the first, I'm not going to flip back to it, but the first slide, the first thing we looked at, Paul said he was a prisoner. He did not say a prisoner of Rome. But here, what we learn is he is, a, he, is, he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's a great thought. It, it has taken me all of my life and ministry to recognize the truth of suffering, especially the ministry. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. These things don't happen to me through time and the things that have suffered, I've suffered. It's true of you, the things you've suffered in service to Christ. They come to me because in a complex way of the purpose of God, Christ has brought them to me. I'm not the same man, I'm not the same pastor, preacher that I was in 19, 
78 when I took my first church. Everything about me has changed. Man, I used to keep three punching bags in my garage. And I had one macerata. And in those days, I was in the depths and throes of training and in the martial arts. And I would get angry over things. And the first thing I would do many times was make my way to those punching bags. Sometimes I might would pin somebody's picture on it. And then I would hit the makawara. I would hit the makawara until my knuckles would bleed. That didn't make me feel any better. Sometimes it made me angrier. Here's the point. All these years later, I've come to realize I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a bond slave of Christ. He has called me to do this. He has led me to do this. And so you're free to insult me any way you want to insult me. I wouldn't be here if not for Christ. And so as an old man, now I have settled into the, into the loveliness and beauty of that truth. And I've come to realize that if I'm here, I'm not perfect, I do things wrong, and I deserve criticism, of course. But in service to Christ, the Bible has taught me, look at this. I became a bond slave according to the gift of the grace of God given to me, according to the working of His power. At least through the years, I've had, the, I've had enough sense to rely on the power of God. There was a particular difficult time in my ministry. where I did not understand the awful things that were happening. I don't know why they were happening or whatever. But at least I did not use the pulpit as a bully pulpit. You know, get up there and just, oh, these, these deacons and these people and these. I just stayed with the next thing. I've always preached through the book of the Bible. I just stayed with the next thing. And the only reason I stand here after all of these years, 1978, I was a minister of music in 1976, but we'll keep that to ourselves. In 1978, I became a preacher. That's more than 40 years. And I can tell you, the power of, the power of man wanted to quit a lot of times. But the power of God is greater than the power of man. And the only thing that can give you longevity in service to Christ is a recognition of the divine power of God in Christ because of what you do and the way He prepares you and leads you and that you're a bond slave to the gift of the grace of God that has been given to you. Most people will go through life and never understand that. 
In service to Christ, we must remember, we're only there for Christ. What kind of idiot would choose to do this kind of thing on his own? Let's see. I've been criticized for wearing their own kind of shoes. For using Greek. I was told one time that I was building a cult to myself. Because nobody else in the church understood Greek but me. And how did they know whether or not I was telling it truthfully? Well, I mean, I could go on from there. We'd be here the rest of the day. And you, you, you get to the point you know, where you just tell people to deal with it or go, like that old song says, go and tell Jesus on me. Let him deal with it. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. I, the, I have a feeling that if certain things don't happen, I may be in prison in two or three years for preaching the Bible. He's in prison. Why? Because I preached that there was no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. He's in prison for it. It'll cost him his head, finally. To preach the glory of Christ and the administration, the dispensation of the grace of God. Okay. Thought number seven. To me, the very least of all saints was given this grace. This guy hated Christians. He killed them. They ran from him. He was a Jew of Jews. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the highest sect of the Pharisees. And all of that stuff. When Christ came to him by grace. It dissolved. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to enlighten all what is the administration of the mystery. Having been hidden from the ages in God. The one having created all things. Here is our job. This is my job. This is your job as a Christian. We have two things to do. Number one. To preach to the world. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Where shall I start to describe? I can't start. You know why? They're unsearchable. They're unfathomable. The riches of Christ. The first thing is to tell people when we're in Christ what we have in Christ. This is the whole premise of the book as it started out, as you will recall. We just don't have an appreciation or a proper understanding of who we are and what we have in Christ. And it all started from before the foundation of the world. That's number one. And then number two, to enlighten everybody of the dispensation of grace, the church. It was, it was hidden in the ages previously. But the one who has created everything now has revealed that mystery. Everybody can come to Christ.
as God called you? Are you a sinner? Do you recognize your inability to save yourself? Can you see that only God and Christ can save you because Christ paid the price for your sin? Do you have an unction? Do you have the feeling, a conviction? Are you drawn? Will you come? Then come. Whosoever will, let him come, drink of the water of life without cost. The will of God awakens the dead man in sin. And the will of God overwhelms and becomes the will of the man to come to God in Christ. Only God can create a whosoever will. Only God. Those are the two things to preach the glory and wonder of Christ and to enlighten people of the administration, the dispensation of grace in the church never known before. There wasn't a church before now, the one having created all. And then thought number eight and thought number nine. Number eight, so that now the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms through the church according to the purpose of the ages which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Authorities, rulers, though in the heavenly realms, those are angels. These are not fallen angels, these are angels. Angels living in the presence of a holy God in heaven where there is heaven's temple where they chant unceasingly to the holiness of God. The unfallen glorious angels they're learning they're learning they're in the seminary of man. Angels were there when the law was given, the proclamation, the proclamation of the sins of man, the identification of the sins of man. Well, I could go on. The angels were always there. They were there when Christ was born, part of the Christmas story. They are there to rejoice every time. The irrevocable call of God, the irresistible call of God comes into the heart of a man. And for all that per person has been, all that person is, all the evil thoughts, the wicked imaginations, the things he has done, the sins of omission and commission, he has broke the Ten Commandments, the Holy Law. He is stained in every way. He's part of a fallen race. He is depraved. And they marvel. That God would call him and he would hear and he would come and be saved. They are still learning and they are attending school in the time of the church. The manifold wisdom of God, grace, 
should be made known to every rank and category of angel in the heavenly realms. How can they learn it? Through the church. According how? According to the purpose of the ages. They are still in stunned admiration and awe of the purpose of God as they observe it being accomplished in the ages. And now it's the age of the church. And he has accomplished all of these ages in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number nine, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. The Jews had to go to the temple. They had to pray in a certain way. They had to go on a certain day to understand that their sins were forgiven. And they had to go through a high priest. We don't do that anymore. Wherever we are, we have boldness. And we have confident access to God. Almighty God. Because He abides in us and we are His temple through our faith in Him. Last thought, number 10. People were saying, poor old Paul, he's in jail for doing that. He said, no, Paul says, it's worth it. Don't feel bad for me. I implore you not to lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. To see the birth and development and growth and outreach of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ by the administration of the grace of God, the dispensation of the church. I don't feel bad in prison because I see this is all for your glory and God has permitted me to see it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He came into this world to save sinners. The invitation is this. If God calls you to be saved, you must be saved. If you have been saved, you need to be obedient to the Great Commission and be baptized. And then finally, number three, once you're saved and you've been obedient to the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to join with other brothers and sisters in a, in a special way of, of fellowship and membership. So our invitation is, if you would be saved today or if you need to follow the Lord in baptism, or if God calls you to be a part of this church, a member of this church, we have deacons and wives as you exit this sanctuary right across the hall in rooms. You'll see them standing in the doorway waiting to receive you and pray with you about any of these or all of these. That's our invitation today. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've allowed us the privilege of being born in the age of grace. In the time of the church. And the great privilege that we have of preaching and teaching and proclaiming the gospel to teach the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and of the administration of grace in this time of the church through Christ. Now bless this invitation as you see fit and bless this time of benediction as we go. Keep us, Lord, from harm and from sickness. And we pray for those who may be sick today. Oh God, give them healing and strength. We pray for those, Lord, who could not come because of personal restrictions. We love them so much and miss them. We pray your blessings to be upon them as well. And now we pray that you'll dismiss us in your love and grace and use us always in Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.